You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every week we bring you everything that is fun and innovative in the digital procurement space. This week, we're going to be digging into the world of direct materials and manufacturing, which is, as we will soon find out from my guest on this week's show, an area that's been a little bit neglected by procurement tech uh, over the years, with the exception of things like e-sourcing platforms, which are definitely very much focused on buying raw materials and direct materials. The rest of the whole ProcureTech ecosystem, certainly I get the feeling, has been very, very much focused on the indirect space. My guest today aims to change that and has brought into the world a very, very nice looking, if I have to say that, uh, platform that helps you manage all manner of direct materials and uh, sales and operations planning. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest to today's episode, Anne-Sophie Leblanc from Ravakan. Uh, Anne-Sophie, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Yeah, Leblanc, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, I did five years of French at school, and I can get by without starving, and uh, but that's about my limit. It's, <laughs> Spanish was much easier for me. It's actually from Brittany, uh, western part of France, with uh, its own oh. language, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, that's so pretty much that's pretty much Cornwall with slightly better weather. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. So you. When we when we spoke before setting up this interview, you actually come from quite a similar background to me in terms of where you started your procurement career. So maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into procurement and then your journey into being a startup founder and how that came about. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I fell in love with procurement and sourcing very early, actually, uh, when I was uh, in you know high school, um, preparing to go into business school. And um, I, I saw a documentary about, you know, buyers going to China and trying to find cool, to uh, cool um, uh, toys to, uh, to purchase for, you know, preparing Christmas. And I was thinking, wow, you can actually, you know, travel the world and find very cool tech and, and things and be paid for this. And uh, so when I went to business school, I, I wanted to uh, learn, you know, in industrial management and sourcing. And uh, afterwards, I did a specialized master's degree uh, called the MIE uh, in Bordeaux, quite uh, famous in, in France and Europe. And, um, and yeah, I was like immersed into um, sourcing um, very early. And uh, I started in CPG, working for Reckitt, buying, you know, plastic bottles. And, um, and then I moved to... Um, Aeronautics, uh, working for Rolls-Royce in Germany. Uh, so different type of context, um, more technical products because I was buying uh, composite parts and titanium fan cases for the jet engines and um, different type of market as well because you go from a very competitive uh, global market to, um, 
you know, oligopolistic um, supplier markets. Um, and um, then I moved to uh, automotive uh, and worked for Vistion, which is a former subsidiary of Ford. And at the time, they wanted to sell their interiors division. So the challenge was to find as many cost reduction cost reductions as possible, right? So I um, I started being a cost reduction manager for four countries. And uh, that was a very fun time because beyond, you know, resourcing and relocating, um, we did a lot of VAV activities and yeah, that was fantastic. And then I moved to the US, uh, worked for Fitbit, um, the wearable um, device company. And uh, there I was a um, global commodity manager uh, looking for innovative materials for this, uh, this startup. And I'd imagine working for Fitbit is very, very different from the three other previous employers that you'd had. And uh, my background, I started my career in the automotive industry too, and then and then moved into CPG or, or FMCG, as we call it in Europe, uh, after, after doing that. So yeah, certainly similar experiences of some of the industries that we've worked in. So tell me, what are the challenges specifically of working in a manufacturing environment in what could be described as sort of old school or more traditional industries? Because for someone maybe in a bank or financial institution or a tech company or or perhaps pharma, uh, you know, sort of a highly profitable industry, this is a different world, isn't it? Um, yes, it is, because actually it's highly collaborative, right? Um, in the world of manufacturing, there are two types of decisions. There is um, engineering or a technical decision, and then there is a commercial decision. And so the challenge a little bit for manufacturers is to allow uh, the organization not to have those decisions two decisions in sequence, but more in parallel. So as a buyer, you need to be in close relationships with the engineers and as well the quality um, department to make sure that actually your decision on what supplier to select is agreed upon by everybody and, um, and documented as well. And did you see noticeably different levels of digitization in in those different industries in the more traditional manufacturing versus uh, working for a technology company? Actually, surprisingly not. And I think this is why wow, okay. as well I, uh, <laughs> I created uh, Ravican because um, I was like building tools in Excel uh, from the beginning. To, to you know organize my portfolio to understand trends and to prepare the negotiations and um, I really thought that by moving to Silicon Valley I would uh, finally have a uh, the the joy to use a powerful software because you know salespeople they have a lot of data um, analytics software and CRM to to prepare the negotiations but um, um, until now I had only my own models um, and um, and yeah, with Fitbit, it was the same, like a lot of Excel spreadsheet that I had to build for my own team. And uh, and this is what triggered really um, the fact that I wanted to uh, bring on a better solution. And I guess now having gone over to the other side and, and having your startup that essentially sells software to manufacturing companies, with wearing your hat as a startup founder now, do you do you find that there is a lot of resistance to change and and it can be quite difficult to get conversations with decision makers in 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 those big traditional manufacturing companies? 
I think our challenge as a startup is to find the innovators, right? The the companies that really want to invest in new technologies. But I I have to say that COVID is playing in our favor because um, for a long time, you know, sourcing teams have been using Excel and email uh, to, you know, to do their work, but now with COVID, they have to react faster. And um, and this is where they start to see that they can't cope actually with the, the new pace um, with um, Excel. Like to give you um, a clear example, um, with some shortages, if you look at off the shelf products, um, you might have you know a need for a specific um, semiconductor or a part that is standard, and so you reach out to a supplier and they give you uh, their price and their lead time, and um, because usually it's uh, right now it's um, much more expensive than before, the buyer has to come back to their you know models, understanding okay this new price how does it impact my product margins, right? So because you have your bill of material, so if this component is increasing in price, how does it impact the price of the or the cost of the full product? Does it impact other products? And um, in terms of cash flow, if I need to buy a higher MOQ or buy inventory, how does it impact my my situation or working capital? And um, figuring all of this um, in Excel will take a long time. And we heard, you know, prospect and customers telling us that by the time they get as well the go from the management and go back to their supplier saying, yes, okay, we agree with this price. Then the supplier says, well, the inventory is already gone. I sold it to another company. So, you know, yeah. being super fast in taking decisions and understanding your market very well is crucial and and you need to step up your game with better software. And and I guess part of this as well is that pre-COVID, this is a type of procurement where, you know, in services procurement, you're often not necessarily close to your stakeholders, but in a manufacturing environment, it's it is it is actually quite normal, isn't it, for the buyer and the and the engineer and most of your stakeholders to be in the same production plants or to be in the same regional headquarters that that is something that certainly my experience from working in manufacturing businesses was was more common because you know there, there was that expectation that you would you would be on site and you would visit them quite often so i mean if they're now having to move to a remote working environment where the procurement teams and perhaps the central engineering teams are not sat in the plant and that's just going to increase massively the volume of email, isn't it? If you're saying that, you know, predominantly this was all done on on Excel, well, I suppose yeah, you could use SharePoint, but it's not a particularly good tool to uh, to, to to navigate and track. So yeah. yeah, I mean, when you bring all of this under one system, I mean, first of all, let's, let's take a step back. I mean, what's what's wrong with managing direct materials within within an ERP system? I mean, plenty of businesses do. I mean, what's the what's the risk there? Well, there there are um, different things, and I want to paint to pinpoint that actually, you know, now the information is changing very fast. Imagine, for example, the the factory of one of your tier two, tier three has to uh, shut down because there was a COVID case, and so for a certain period of time, you won't have capacity, you won't have production. So understanding as well how it's going to impact your supply chain is very crucial. And uh, because 
you know, information that you might get is changing every day. You can't really rely on asynchronous ways of working. Uh, by the time you get the spreadsheet and you open it and you, you know, analyze it, then the data might have already changed. So there is a very big need for better collaboration and uh, current tools are um difficult to um, to uh, reach those goals. So this is one thing. The other thing is when you're, um, well, we specialized in consumer electronics and consumer goods. And in that um, industry, a lot of brands are relying on contract manufacturers to assemble their products. So they would, you know, design uh, all the components, find sources, negotiate with um, suppliers directly, but they are not placing POs to them. They are going to ask Foxconn, a Pegatron to actually place the POs on their behalf. So it's directed purchasing, right? Direct purchasing. And so um, uh, if you look at what's in your ERP, you would only see um, the spend with your uh, first year. So um, this is why, you know, uh, managing actually uh, the, um, the, 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 the sourcing with your ERP is not 100% suited for this model. Um, also, you know, you have your bill of materials in your PLM software, for example, and you want to track what is the breakdown um, of all the costs. And we see that very big companies are limited in that sense, because as well, you know, you might have just one price for one component, but it's not always the case. Actually, you might, um, with off-the-shelf parts, agree on a price list with different MOQ steps. And this price list is agreed. And from time to time, you want to capitalize on the fact that you have higher demand to switch to a higher MOQ. And that um, actually, in current ERPs, you need a manual operation to update the price directly because it's not going to switch to the best MOQ automatically. And this is something we, we do, actually, the uh, MOQ recommendation. That's really interesting. So you, you are actually leveraging then AI to be able to to be able to smartly pick which which one is the best option at that given point in time based on uh, based on inventory and based on supply chain lead time, that type of thing. Exactly. So you have a lot of parameters as well to capitalize on more savings or to limit price increases by, you know, um, you have MOQ, but you have as well uh, allocation, supplier allocation uh, when you have multi-sourcing. And if a supplier is actually increasing their prices, maybe you want to actually decrease the share you're giving to them, right? And so all those parameters are not uh, very easy to uh, to update Um uh, automatically in a, in our ERP, and so actually, um, Ravacan as a platform is connecting, you know, brands, suppliers, contract manufacturers to collaborate on all those uh, variables together. And, and not not only not only that, but if you if you look at the cost of shipping now, it could it could be quite an easy decision just based on shipping cost. If you've maybe got a supplier in in Asia, and then you've got another supplier in in Europe or North America, depending on where on, on where on where your end production is, the cost of shipping now could be a factor that makes you want to switch from one to the other. Likewise, you know, currency is uh, is another big factor. I, I recently spent a few weeks in Turkey, uh, escaping the winter, and you know what they're experiencing right now with the currency crisis. It's uh, you know for their exports, it's great, but um, but but you know that could be the difference of 
it being a competitive source one week and and not being the next with uh, with such a volatile uh, currency situation. So any tool that's able to do that automatically without having to ma- manually calculate it, I think is 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 certainly a huge added value proposition potentially for uh, for a business that has complex supply chains with multiple sources. So just a quick interlude because there are a couple of things that I really want to make you aware of because I think they will be valuable for you. So number one, we now have a monthly newsletter where we bring you curated content of everything that's happening in the digital procurement space. If you want to get that, just head to procuretechpodcast.com forward slash newsletter, enter your name and email, and we'll get that delivered straight to your inbox. Number two, if you're a head of procurement or a center of excellence leader, and you're perhaps a little bit confused or overwhelmed with what's out there as best of breed digital procurement technology, especially if you're a mid-sized business, schedule a call with me. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes in this episode. Just hit that schedule a call link, and we can have a quick chat to understand your challenges and what potential solutions out there may be suitable for your organization. And now let's get right back to this week's show. So that's one aspect of it then in terms of being able to do smart demand planning, shall we, uh, shall we say. Uh, it does a lot more than that though, doesn't it? Because there are, there are other modules within Ravencan that software companies have developed best of breed solutions as individual sort of companies as an individual individual best of breed procure tech solutions for example you've got should cost projections and you've got a demand pl- and you've got demand planning tool in there you've got spend analytics as well maybe just walk me through what you feel as being the main advantages of bringing all this uh, under one platform rather than going best of breed with each of these three or four different different tools yeah, so um, I think what's very valuable is to be able to, you know, um, automate some repetitive tasks and get price updates from your suppliers very quickly, and as well to gain visibility of what's going on in your portfolio. Uh, it's it should be, but it's not easy for buyers to be able to specifically answer to the management saying yes, actually, you know the the overall prices are going up and this is the breakdown by commodity by supplier. These are the reasons, you know, uh, for, for cost increases. And um, this is what we do automatically in the platform. So as a buyer, you create your commodity strategy based on analytics that might take a long time to, um, to create uh, with a traditional uh, Excel uh, spreadsheets, but um in our uh, platform, it's done automatically. And um, so spend visibility is one thing. And as well, you know, right now with um, the current disruptions, making sure that you have capacity available at your suppliers to um, to build your product. So um, securing supply is one of the top priorities for 2022, um, according to um, uh, procurement um, departments. So, uh, this is uh, something we are tackle as well with a module around tooling um, management, vendor tooling management. 
And vendor tooling management is something I remember very, very well from my days working in tier one automotive suppliers because we we often had no clue where our tooling was kept and who was the owner of it. And you know, one of the one of the first things I remember having to do going into one procurement role was to put a tooling asset register in place because we had no no clue where any of our tools are. So to, to be able to digitize that and have that electronically rather than just saved in a file on somebody's C drive or, or on SharePoint, I, I can certainly see the value of that. And I guess it can be the supplier can automatically update it as well, couldn't they, in theory, if uh, if a tool is moved from one location to another. Exactly. You, you, you understand the pain, right? Um, yeah, it was... Uh blown away when I started my career to see that it was not properly managed. And, um, you know, tooling is very expensive. Um, injection molds cost, you know, 30 to hundred K dollars. And, um, and you're always, if you're not managing your, um, your tooling properly, you're always, um, facing surprises like, oh, I, a tool is breaking or a tool has to be refurbished and um, it creates some, uh, you know, a cap expense that is not forecasted. And um, it's it's critical to uh, not only to manage cost, but obviously uh, cost and, and spend, but also managing um, capacity and availability of product to be able to have in one place all the tooling, where are they? Have they been moved actually to a lower cost country without us knowing it? So this is um, something that is um, very important as well, making sure that um, tools are destroyed after the life of um, uh, the lifetime of, uh, of the tool because you have some IP um, problems here that can um, that can um, appear, right? Because your um, you would find maybe proprietary design that is going to be used by a supplier if the if the um, the tool is not um, destroyed in time. Um, and yeah, so, right. You you mean like for, you you mean them using it for for generic aftermarket supply that's maybe that they might be using your tool and selling the parts to third party manufacturers who are essentially undercutting you if you're the OEM. Exactly. That's exactly it. And um, as well, you know, you need to to make sure that uh, your suppliers are, you know, um, storing your tools and that they are properly labeled. I remember uh, that um, in my past, you know, life <laughs> where I was a buyer, we had um, a supplier going bankrupt and my colleague had to rush to um, the supplier because the creditors were actually um, planning on selling the, the molds for just the, you know, uh, the raw materials. And um, there was no property tag with our company name on it. So we had to put stickers on every mold to make sure that they are not taken away. Um, so, you know, having a tool like Brabacan allows buyers to keep track of where the molds are. Um, where have they been manufactured? So you can actually um, keep track of the efficiency uh, of the molds, um, the level of scraps, um, what is the overall cost, how much did you pay in what, you know, a financing plan, and as well, um, what have been the refurbishments and uh, and all the quality documents you uh, you want to track. 
I think the other good thing about tooling asset registers as well is, especially now, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but with, you know, VUCA and supply chain instability, more and more companies are looking at going down a dual sourcing strategy now, aren't they? And if they, especially, you could almost bring sustainability into it too. And if if companies are looking at bringing production closer to home to reduce the amount of shipping or, or transportation, and they've got two sets of tools, then now it it makes it even more important to keep to keep tracks on those assets because you're right you know in the you, you mentioned injection molding but you know stamped product products and you know any sort of metalworking tools are also extremely expensive too so right. knowing where they are and the quality of them and the internet of things i guess also comes into this as well isn't it if you can put a chip if you can put some sort of chip or tag onto the tool uh, mm-hmm. And it and it and it and it tells you when that when that when when they're being moved or whether or, or where they're being uh, located to, uh, that that brings in a, a huge amount of additional transparency uh, yeah. within your supply chain that, that that you otherwise just wouldn't have had. Yes, exactly, and you know. Um... A buyer is very hands-on, and it's very like I feel it's um, it's changing the way you work when you have a platform, and you get alerts on you know demand over capacity ratio, and you see okay here there's an alert um, for this you know a part for example uh, where the demands are higher than the capacity, so the buyer can say okay well what are my solutions? Do do I have to ask the supplier to work extra time on weekends? Because you can see the number of shifts and the number of work days per week. And um, so you can see, okay, do I have inactive tools? Can I actually ask the supplier to uh, to work overtime and things like that? So, you know, having the data that allows you to take the good decisions is uh, is very, <laughs> for me, it's very fun. This is where, where I wanted to uh, be a buyer in the first place. So what size of a company would you typically need to be to to see some sort of ROI on this in terms of investing in something like Ravakan as a as a tool to be able to digitize this sort of more holistic view of uh, of planning and manufacturing operations for direct materials? Well, actually, we are serving mid-size and enterprise clients. Uh, so it's more... Um, say a type of configuration our sweet spots are companies that are using contract manufacturers to build their product and they need to have you know a collaboration tool where they can hand on information in a very effective way to all those parties together um, so this is why we are actually yeah working with mid-sized companies and enterprises um, so yeah this is the um, the the type of clients we are uh, working with that's really interesting. So you don't have to be a big sort of tier one OEM manufacturer in in any one of these industries to take advantage of it. Then you could also uh, you could also get the benefits and as a, as a mid market business. Yeah, that's right. And um, the ones that are because you were talking about ORI, um, the the most compelling uh, thing is that when you are um, a company that is growing dramatically. And uh, actually, our tool is very well suited for um, 
teams that have a lack of resources and they need to achieve more. And so, for example, one of our clients, uh, early clients, Molecule, they were actually completely booming with uh, COVID and um, and the wildfire in the U.S. Uh, they sell high-tech air purifiers. So their business went from having a few products to being a global um, market and um and they had only three buyers at the time, but they managed to actually expand um, their their portfolio and uh, and their activity. They multiply by four um, the number of you know uh, products uh, they were managing, and um, as well the portfolios of the buyers. The buyers were able to take on twice as many uh, parts um, as they had before, and um, and they multiply the number of product lines by thirteen actually. That's a great example. And I always say it, and it's something I'm very passionate about, that you don't have to be a massive company to benefit from ProcureTech. And that's not just implementing a P2P solution. That is literally everything else that is out there in the procurement tech landscape as well. So thank you for that example. Final mm-hmm. question, Anne-Sophie, if anyone would like to learn more about you or about Ravacan, where's the best place that people can get in touch with you? Well, they can uh, go on our website, uh, ravacan.com, R-A-V-A-C-A-N.com, or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. I'm uh, very present on LinkedIn, so very happy to connect there as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me. And I'm really pleased to showcase a manufacturing procurement tech solution after talking about all the different solutions that serve predominantly, you know, the indirect space and the efficiency space. It's nice to focus on on raw materials because that is the backbone of a lot of companies. So uh, great to hear what you're up to. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, James. That was Anne-Sophie from uh, Ravacan with some insights there around how manufacturing businesses can get the most from digitizing some of their upstream operations when it comes to sourcing, ordering, market intelligence, should costing, and all that type of stuff that affects a traditional manufacturing business. Just a couple of things before we sign off. Uh, if you like what we're doing, then don't forget to go to your favorite podcast player and hit the subscribe button so as you get notifications each time that we launch a new episode, which is, of course, every Wednesday. Thank you very much for listening. We know there are a lot of other procurement podcasts out there. A lot of them actually are pretty good. So thank you for inserting us into your earballs today. And until next week, take care and see you then.